it's an interesting one because the digital agenda for private equity you know hasn't always been easy talk to anybody in the industry they will tell you returns is the biggest sore point at the moment some leaders are not going to want to completely to rebuild those platforms or have the money to do that in these challenging economic times there is the data available there are the tools available but right now very few people are stitching them together to solve the whole problem how can you maximize the return on investment that you've already made and look for tools and approaches to be more flexible agile and ultimately get a bit more bang for your buck hello and welcome I'm Mark Veldon, co-lead of Alex Partners Global Private Equity Practice and also co-head of Alex Partners in the UK. I'm pleased that you can join us for another one of our PE-focused expert discussions. Creating more value from digital and retail is the focus of our conversation today, and it's great to have my colleagues Brian Calms and Ollie Freestone from our retail practice with me to discuss the challenges and opportunities in this area. So the phrase digital transformation means many things depending on your position and perspective. But the mere mention of it does tend to strike a note of trepidation for leaders and investors. In today's environment, the stakes are even higher, with the need to deliver the right solutions with minimal impact to business as usual, and crucially, within budget being critical. So Brian, perhaps I can turn to you first. How do you think retail portco leadership teams are considering their digital priorities for 2023, given the current economic climate? And would they differ wildly for private equity firms? I think the most interesting thing in the last couple of years for retail digital has been the growth of online. And what that has done is not simply changed the way that people buy, but it's created a huge environment for data. And much more information about customers is available at an online retailer than a traditional store environment. And lots of retailers had to play catch up very quickly and develop much more capability around that website and the front end. Uh, and so what a lot of uh, retail businesses are facing into at the moment is a sudden explosion in the last couple of years of digital spend. And they're now beginning to ask the question, what are we getting for it? What can we do with the information we've been gathering? How can we harness it? And, and as we go into economically difficult times, um, most retailers will be thinking now's not the time to be investing much more. They're probably in a harvest phase. Now, one of the interesting distinctions, of course, within um, private equity is that a lot of this value may only be realized over the longer term uh, and the strategic investments they have made recently have a lot of potential if they can harness that, if they can build different relationships with their customers. So I think what we'll see is a lot of pressure coming from owners and from the leadership of retailers to the IT function to say, you have the data, inform better decision-making, help us understand our customers better, uh, and help us understand our products and our suppliers better. Uh, and then we can begin to, to get the benefit of the last year over the next multiple years. I mean, Ollie, what challenges have you seen retailers wrestling with over the past few months? And, and how do you see this year playing out? Well, Mark, I think the difficulty of predicting how long we're going to be in such a volatile environment is a huge challenge for retailers. And, and, and particularly when it comes to areas such as planning inventory, forecasting sales, these are questions about how much to hold and where, what prices to set, what promotional mechanics are appropriate to support sales. And these are the type of decisions that make a massive difference to the bottom line 
especially during peak periods such as Christmas. So the ability to react in real time can help retailers trade through intraday shifts in consumer behavior. You know, for instance, when an event or football is on and demand might soften and need a boost. So many retailers are looking at smarter ways to manage stock levels more closely, smarter ways to set prices better and smarter ways to reduce the amount of markdown activity they need to clear stock. And we're not talking about big technology implementations or massive investments, as Brian alluded to before. We're seeing a lot more uh, thinking about how to deploy data and analytics tools more tactically, which can then scale up once the value can be proven. And the smarter retailers are using much more of a test and learn approach to these types of technology. So clearly from a technological perspective, it feels like there's much work to be done, even if the wholesale transformation ambitions are clipped at this time. But aren't some of what you might call the more traditional retail businesses just too far down the line with legacy systems to truly reinvent themselves and compete? I mean, Brian, what's your view in terms of, I suppose, the, the digital native retailers of recent years? Well, there's a couple of interesting points in, in that you make there, Mark. Firstly, let's look at the digital native retailers. They've certainly got a number of advantages. They have less encumbered technology. They probably have a workforce and a working style which has made them able to build more rapidly. And, and generally, they will have the systems tools which support uh, rapid development. Um, it's not all easy for them, though. A number of these pure play digital native businesses are now 10 to 15 years old and actually facing into some of the problems that their first generations of systems need replacing. Um, so they don't have it all easy. But I do think there are bigger challenges for the more traditional retailers. They have a much more complex um, and mixed architecture. They will have very ancient systems sitting alongside much newer ones. They would have attempted in the past to stitch these together um, without big capital expenditure, taking expedient decisions uh, as they went along. And in many cases, some of these legacy systems are now beyond support. There aren't people with the, the technologies and the capabilities to support them. Uh, and indeed, they're quite attractive from a cost point of view because they are fully depreciated uh, and therefore costing very, very little to the business compared to the systems they might move to. And, and so what we see is, again, pressure from management and the owners on the IT function to find expedient ways um, to catch up with the digital natives. Uh, and this is not simply a case of getting in bed with the large software vendors and the big systems integrators and embarking on a multi-year project. It's much more about the careful navigation of the options, focusing on where you can drive the most amount of value from the information that you are already capturing and taking a tactical modernization approach and driven by the business needs. And in all of this, of course, it's very important to consider the human element. One of the things that enables projects to be more successful is sort of personal courageous leadership from the top of the organization, making it clear that a transition towards a more digital business is actually an imperative. And this is not simply the case of uh, investing in enabling technology. It's actually the route to business performance. Thanks, Brian. Ollie, that human side of technological change is, is really interesting. Do you have any other thoughts in that respect? And perhaps stretching it a little bit further and maintaining that crucial connection with private equity during major digital undertakings. 
How do you see that playing out and, and what are the recipes for success here? Well, Mark, Brian's absolutely right. The, the human side can often get forgotten in technology change. And um, we've seen that um, time and time again. One of the challenges we've seen um, specifically in landing big digital programs is how to tr transcend things like organizational silos. So for instance, if you're landing a, a pricing or promotions platform, that can potentially span multiple teams. You might be talking about digital, you might be talking about marketing, you might be talking about commercial. And to best design and deploy those kind of technologies uh, and to deliver the value that, that's intended, there's a massive human side to that. All of those stakeholders have a vested interest in driving towards better outcomes. But it takes real skill to navigate the competing requirements and priorities of the different facets of the organization. What we've seen is some of the more successful retailers start to break down those silos when they start to look at how to deploy some of these more digital tools. And some are shifting much more to integrated ways of working. And by that, I mean creating things like smaller cross-functional teams to work on digital programs. Teams that are mandated to deliver clear outcomes, but they're smaller autonomous teams of experts that really focus around a specific challenge. And that can often be more effective than trying to land a heavier, more traditional governance and project structure. Another challenge uh, that Brian alluded to is around leadership and, and leadership can sometimes be a bit opaque, sometimes have confused accountabilities. So aligning the senior team around the same vision and goals before embarking on a digital change is critical. Otherwise, the change risks disintegrating when the going gets tough and you can get breakdowns in coordination in uh, communication and then competing and conflicting objectives. Um, on your point around uh, the, the PE and Portco companies and, and the importance of the human side there, that relationship between the, the PE and their companies, I think it's incumbent on both sides to be clear on three things. One, why they're undertaking the change. Two, what the key milestones and outcomes are, and three, how are they going to deliver these? And answering those three elements provides fundamental building blocks for everything else. And then on top of that, layering on regular and transparent communication and forums for dialogue. Um, and let's not forget, often the, the PE firms are able to provide access to expert resources um, to, to, from, their, from their own networks and, and use their leverage from their portfolios to help portfolio companies. But they do need that transparency and understanding that comes from regular dialogue and a trusting relationship in order to help. It's an interesting one because the digital agenda for private equity, you know, hasn't always been easy. And then when you look at retail in particular, I mean, if we rewind back three to seven years, private equity probably shied away from investing in retail, whereas the last couple of years, you know, seen some big investments, particularly in grocery retail in the UK, for example. Now, you're both in the retail world 24-7. How would you summarize the industry landscape with regard to opportunities and challenges ahead for private equity, particularly those who are looking to invest or accelerate value creation from their existing portfolio, for example? Ollie, perhaps I can come to you first on this. What do you think? So there are two points that I'd make. The first would be... Um... Look at how you up your game around data science. We've worked with a number of significant retailers to help unpack the types of analysis and insights needed to drive important value creation decisions. So whether that's understanding the profitability of key lines, how to improve ranges, how to better support supply negotiations, the management of, of information can drive much higher economic value. 
And the second point is think about, and this comes back to something Brian said earlier on, whether modernization really requires a complete re-architecture and rebuild of the entire tech stack. Some leaders are not going to want to completely rebuild those platforms or have the money to do that in these challenging economic times. So how can you maximize the return on investment that you've already made and look for tools and approaches to be more flexible, agile, and ultimately get a bit more bang for your buck without having to embark on the dreaded three-year transformation program? And if I could draw both of all these points together there, I think one of the biggest opportunities in retail for digital is around the area of returns. If you talk to anybody in the industry, they will tell you returns is the biggest sore point at the moment. Uh, it's costing a lot of money. In fashion, roughly 40 plus percent of all product is returned. So there are very significant supply chain costs. And of course, it's an environmental issue as well. We believe that actually digital is a key part of solving this. Um, there is the data available. There are the tools available. But right now, very few people are stitching them together to solve the whole problem. And for private equity, I believe this is where there's a significant value creation opportunity in any one of their portfolio companies. Well, thank you very much. Um, so even if multi-million IT investments are off the table for now, it seems like there's no shortage of sizable challenges for retail and private equity going forward. Uh, Brian, Ollie, it's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you both for your time and insights today. Uh, for those of you listening in, thank you for attending. I hope you find the session useful and hope you can join us for our next Alex Partners Private Equity Conversation. Have a great day and thanks again.